0: hey how's it going champagne sharks hope everyone's doing well just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at Patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And without further ado, Here is the episode. Take care. Uh, Hey, Champagne Sharks, how's it going? Hopefully you're not sick of our next guest because uh, we've had him on uh, quite frequently recently. I think we're going to have you on. Consider that an honor, Trevor. (laughs) Yeah, I will. I will. It's going to be back on soon for for a book book review, but uh, yeah, by all means, feel free to introduce yourself to Anyone who might, this might be their first episode.
1: Sure. Hey, this is Chris. I'm from the Escape from Plan A podcast. I think this might be somewhere between my third and fifth time being on here, which probably puts me at least in in maybe your top 10, maybe even top five number of people have shown up. And yeah, you can find our podcast, Escape from Plan A. It's on all the you know major platforms. And I've also written a bunch of articles for Plan A magazine, which is our written component at planamag.com. And you can find me on Twitter at at Jesu in Toast.
0: Yeah, and we um, are talking about Squid Game, Squid Game today. And the I'm on my I think it's my third. My third watch. I've been. I've watched the thing. geez uh, third watch. Times. Uh, yeah. I just really wow. like the thing. Yeah. I mean, it's like there's like a lot of new content, and I'll look at it, and I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be bad. Like, why do it? Or, why not just watch something I like? Like, I don't know. Like when I watched Squid Game, and it was just so good, I realized like, wow, I waste a lot of time watching like you know stuff to like dunk dunk on it or <laughs> you know suffer through it and stuff. And it's so much better to actually watch something generally. Good so
1: well, I, I can sympathize because you and I we both have the same like I, I think it's like a like a evolutionary misfire in our <laughs> in our genetic structure where I don't know we just have this compulsion to to read or watch stuff we we hate which I'm sure is not good for if like it's meant for the survival of our you know individual cells probably not a good thing but uh, we both have it so I totally sympathize but yeah squid game was great and I'm here to lend my uh, mystical authentic knowledge as a <laughs> korean canadian every subtitle is wrong every uh decoration that was off uh every bow that wasn't properly uh angled i'm here to nitpick
0: it and, and please you have to uh plug that you want um netflix to hire you because because the <laughs> all, all, all these articles have in common that <laughs> these people are like angling for jobs um mixed into the corrections and, and you know like i mean you would know better than me but uh Reading other people's accounts of the problems, I, l- I thought it was gonna be way worse. Like, like uh, some of them, like the use of "babe" instead of "opa," I thought was like weird. Opa, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, the- I don't no, I don't mean to laugh. I just I, I find it very endearing. <laughs> no, it's no problem. Uh, yeah, so opa. Um, I think I was thinking of Kim's Convenience and I just confused the term. Oh, yeah. I'll,
1: yeah, that means that. Yeah. that that'd yeah, be very yeah. awkward. I
0: think, <laughs> I think I might have conflated the two. But um, yeah, so it's like, that was an example. I was like, babe is a weird. Like, like, I mean, there were some weird choices, but this made it seem like you were just going to miss such important stuff and then the examples they gave i was like well i kind of see it but it's
1: okay well let's look at that "opa, babe uh translation i've actually just for fun and because you know i mean my koreans at a at a pretty low level. I mean, I can kind of understand uh, just basic household type of dialogue and vocabulary. But, you know, when I watch something like, like a K-drama, I will put on the subtitles because, uh, you know, I will understand about maybe at best about 75% of it, but especially as, as the vocab gets harder, uh, I'm kind of left in the dark. So I, I do want to use it as a learning experience. So I turn them on. So one of the things I, I've sometimes done in the past is just for fun, I'll download these programs where you can subtitle things uh, for fun I'll just download a, a Korean drama I like and I'll try subtitling it. And it's, it's a very interesting, uh, fun, but also frustrating experience because like oppa uh, can literally mean like, like your biological older brother, like like a girl would call her older brother, or it can be kind of like uh, uh, like a woman uh, with an older man. Often it has kind of a romantic context, but it doesn't have to be. So in English, why would you call that? Would you translate to to brother cuz that would be very awkward if it's actually not in a family context and even in a family context it sounds weird like you calling your brother literally hey come here brother it's you know in english it just sounds weird it's just like okay what's the english word that can best approximate in this case someone like minya and toksu babe is not that bad i don't think that's that's actually bad at all i think it conveys what you're trying to say
0: yeah and i mean even if it is that bad if that's like the worst you got you know, it's not like a lot of people were just parroting this stuff. But it took me a while before I actually dug deep in the Vice article and went through all the examples. And yeah, and it's just the outrage I had was kind of um, dissipated pretty quickly when I when I saw that. Not saying I yeah. didn't have a sense of outrage, but you know, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah,
1: and the thing is with subtitles, you, you already should go into it knowing that you're never gonna get close to the full experience as a. Uh, just somebody who knows that language and culture at best, you might get like 50%, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. I I just watched Solaris. I'm, I probably missed like 90% of the nuances of being Russian, especially in, in like, like the, you know, the Soviet era and everything, but I still found the movie cool and interesting. I didn't have to know everything about it. And, you know, subtitle controversies are not new at all. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, watching Breathless for the first time and just being kind of confused by the ending. Like, what the hell? Uh, And then looked it up online. And apparently there's like this huge controversy over, you know, what what does, you know, the protagonist say with his dying breath, you know, and and it's so hard to actually translate that from not only the French, the language, but of, you know, the culture back then. And it's like, you got to accept it. It's like, you can't, just like how foreign uh, people will never really understand the nuances of American culture and the English language. It's not gonna work the other way no matter how uh precise you are in the dictionary definition.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, I uh, was on one hand, like felt heartened that people um, you know, cared that much about it being authentic and whatever, because the stereotype is that Americans just like don't care about that stuff. And as someone who's been into like anime, it's like really bad. Like like people are mm-hmm. like into anime, they don't like to read the official translations of anything because they always try to change the slang to americanize and they always try to de de-cul- deculture the, right, the product right, right. so that it, it becomes like culture neutral like um you know they'll put like pizzas in some in a scene where there's sushi as if somehow mm-hmm. like the kids are gonna be sucked <laughs> out of the thing by seeing by seeing sushi they do like a lot of weird things like that you know like um so it's like i was uh, watching this youtube video that compiled all these ridiculous um things that they used to do in old uh translations and apparently and in things like like the old pokemon series they were just putting like burgers <laughs> over like sushi as this is the think of the kid is gonna be like I, I can't follow this like mm-hmm. what are those people eating yeah it makes like, no sense yeah. It's, this thing makes no sense to me. Yeah. And
1: i have been gaslit. Like, why are they telling me that this rice thing is a burger?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no, they'll change everything. They'll change it in the story to say it's a burger and you know, it'll look glaringly different than everything else on the screen. Like someone just like hand drew it in. It's, it's a, it's a horrible. And they've, they've gotten away from that, but, um, there's always this assumption that, you know, America is just so dumb and so afraid of anything, uh, foreign which i always think is kind of silly because if you're going to watch something that's you know clearly from another country and set someplace else then you know they're already meeting you halfway you might as well go go the whole way so um at first i got heartened because i thought it was like really deep cultural stuff that american people were being alarmed about so then when i actually saw the actual controversy and i was like okay this is just kind of pedantic you know
1: yeah, I, I, I want to say it probably started off from a good place where I, um, you know, when I watch Korean dramas and I see the subtitles, I mean, I, I get a nice chuckle out of some of the things that um, get, uh, it's very hard to translate and just, it's just funny. Like, for example, there, there's a word nom in Korean, it's just kind of this, it's like a generic insult, it's a very low level insult to the point where even parents can say it to their kids. But there's no easy way to translate that into English. I think in most dramas, they they translate it to something like bastard. Uh, but, you know, it, like in English, imagine like a mom calling her son like a bastard. It's just, it's funny. And I could see somebody going on Twitter and just raising that because it's, you know, it's a funny observation and, you know, you might get a, get a bunch of likes and retweets. But then, yeah, by now it's turned into this extremely self-righteous, uh, overblown crusade I was like oh it's gonna you I think the um, one of the articles that I've I shared with you was something like the the message of like uh you know social critique of, of sweet game is essentially uh mostly lost and like what are you talking about you've got like people in in Mexico and Sweden and um, Ghana watching this and everyone gets what what this show is trying to say yeah they're not going to get the little intricacies that you can only know if you you're a Korean but everyone gets the overall message of this And it's like yeah it's, they're just angling for jobs
0: yeah I mean that's the usual and and that's two things we're actually, that we're actually going to talk about we're going to talk about how um, you know basically the squid game itself but I feel like so many people have kind of watched it or broken it down in so many places that we don't we don't have to go too deep into it and make that the whole time and then like you know switch to talking about the actual discourse around it and and this is an angle that i don't think a lot of people have done maybe you guys have done it but you know the angle of like what does this mean for the um minority american uh culture culture industry or culture complex because because you know there is there is this kind of non-white american culture complex that you know exists of all these different blue checks think peace writers uh tiktokers um, yeah you and
1: i complain about them all the time yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that are, are really desperate to get some kind of foothold uh uh into like the mainstream white culture by leveraging their uh you know parents and grandparents um birthplaces and 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 like one thing they do is get called out about a, a lot and people will pull up their old tweets and everything or the old think pieces where they admit being ashamed of their foreign roots and and um cultural trappings and the and and the infamous stinky lunch uh think piece where they talk about how they had to bring the ethnic lunch to school, all the white kids made fun of them. But mm-hmm. then like suddenly um something's happened where all this stuff that they were trained to be ashamed of by like, their white classmates and everything uh it's are suddenly like you know but they're not really able to capitalize because it's not really like, like for the, like for example like k dramas k pop anime manga whatever it is uh it's not it's not stuff that asian americans are producing or people in the you know minority american like you know m- media complex it's uh it's stuff from the the homeland it's 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 the uncut it's the raw uncut like you know culture you know and they're having trouble kind of to me fitting themselves in you know there's there's not any things like that they've been trying to do is all the same boring stuff you know some asian woman you know whose parents are overbearing and she wants to date a white guy like um um to all the boys and like a million other types of things or like you know some asian guy who's at comic relief like you showed you showed me a trailer for this netflix christmas movie that just looks like okay this so, is um be-
1: hard love right yeah, it's the one with Jimmy O Yang and Nina Dobrev. Yeah, that looks. It's like all the goodwill that Netflix has gathered from Asians, because uh, you know, to their credit, Netflix has probably been the single greatest force in mainstreaming uh, Korean entertainment, uh, at least like that. You know, in terms of K dramas and movies in America. Yeah, it's like the the Asian American is like the counterbalance. Like, okay, we can't let the Asians get too high on this. We got to balance them out with the embarrassing Asian American stuff, and uh, this looks like it. Uh, I think it's a fascinating movie. I mean, we'll probably I I saw an Escape from Planet pot about it because I find the premise fascinating because it's essentially a movie version of this concept of just be white, which uh, I swear it used to be a subreddit. I think they shut it down recently, but it's, it's the, it was a gathering of uh, minority men who said, you know, if you're just a white dude, you get all these extra unearned bonuses. And that's the premise of this movie. Jimmy O. Yang catfishes Nina Dobrev by using um, the picture of the guy from Never Have I Ever, who's like a quarter Asian, but he's basically white passing totally. And they made a movie out of it. And I'm just very curious as to how they're going to handle it because it's going to be a blast. I'm kind of hoping it'll be like a moxie, like a movie is so bad, but it's endlessly fascinating because of how bad it is.
0: I mean, I think that's what drives us to do our horrible uh, hate watching is because uh, it's very educational. A lot of things that we um, hate watching. For sure, yeah. But I just feel like... uh, there's that old quote, I think it's by Nietzsche, like, uh, whosoever studies monsters, you know, beware, lest you become one or something. I feel like, uh, (laughs) you know, I, I, I feel like, uh, even, even for the purpose of just, you know, educating myself on, you know, what these people are making and their horrible thought process, I'm losing a part of my soul each time because, because I'm doing stuff now where I'm able to like predict what the horrible, what their horrible takes are going to be, or I could watch their stuff. And predict like mm-hmm. their what kind of dumb twist is gonna happen? And I'm like, this yeah. is bad because I'm actually starting to understand their brains, even if it's to criticize it. And that's uh, I feel like I lost a little bit of sanity by warping my brain to a point where I can actually understand what they were going for, and a lot of the stuff. With the worst example being the recent Candyman uh, remake that I watched. I mean, that thing was just uh, it, it. It was like someone put ten think pieces into a computer, they scanned them in. <laughs> And then the computer had an intelligent AI that could create a uh, screenplay off of it. It's just really, really bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm no tricky, but isn't that what like the the Borg does? Like they, they assimilate you by just like I don't know, downloading your brain into their cube. Uh, I, I feel like that's the danger we face when we we fly too close to this uh, evil son of yeah. crapitude. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, no, I totally, I totally agree, and that's what kind of made this thing so um, refreshing. Is just it's not didactic. I mean, some people are complaining, oh, the metaphor is really unsubtle. And, but I, I didn't really think, it, I didn't really think so. Like, I think it seems very unsubtle on the surface, but I think it has a lot of nuances to, um to like little things that happen. Like for example, the hierarchy between the um staff, you know, and, and you pointed out something that I missed, but the circle, the triangle, and the square—the hierarchy—is the more sides you have to your shape, the higher your rank. You know, and like
1: yeah, I, I think they say that explicitly in the show. Uh, because it's not like I was taking notes and and I deduced that I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard it in the show. Uh, I think one of the characters might say it, but yeah, it is. It is like a yeah ranking that is determined by how many uh, sides you have on the geometric shape on your face.
0: For example, people are like, "Oh, it's not to oh, you know, it's not as subtle as um Parasite, you know, uh, cuz this thing is so clearly about corporations and whatever. But I think it could be about anything. Uh really, I think it's actually to me it's more coherent than Parasite. Cuz Parasite at the end of the day, I wasn't really sure who the parasite is. Is it the rich family? The rich family was basically generally kind of nice, you know? Yeah. And and the um the other family was kind of assholes and some people say, Oh, po- well, poverty makes you into an asshole, you know, but like, there was a lot of stuff where I wasn't fully sure what parasite was trying to say as far as a coherent worldview. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that kind of disguises stuff as like nuance. The fact that it's hard to really fully understand who the parasite is, what exactly is trying to say, whatever. Whereas I think, um, this thing has a much, I think, clearer worldview. Um, to it and i noticed little things like for example i feel like the idea of the the kids games being done i think uh part of it is to kind of show like how capitalist society kind of trains you for competition and and to be a good capitalist and to be in the workplace or you know try to be like i think it's kind of making a commentary about how childhood is you know something that exists to train you for the soullessness of uh corporate like adult life you know and, mm-hmm. we, and we we're talking about the lunch boxes and the guy talks about how his wife made lunch boxes like this for himself and his kids and i thought that was an interesting point that you know uh, his kids are being made the same type of lunch as he is you know to go to like what is basically their workplace you know you know that that the kids are just basically being trained to have a life like an Like an adult, you know, and um, I felt that was an interesting kind of um, commentary and and also like people get kind of revert to kids at the end of the day, like how everything is high school, even for adults, like even if we pretend it's not, you can see it on like on like social media all the time and all these weird clicks that form with people or in any, even that stupid article going around, everyone's talking about, but a bad art friend. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. such a high school dog eat dog, mean girl type of dynamic to me.
1: Yeah, I just realized that like the the uniforms they put on like the tracksuit, kind of makes them look like uh like if you ever had to wear a uniform for like gym class in school, it kind of makes them look like that. And actually I, I just realized that.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. You know, uh the over monitoring of the employees I thought was interesting. They have like um cameras and all their quarters, but there's a lot of fake niceness and I feel like corporations and stuff are so good with that. Like this fake camaraderie, fake Wokeness, diversity, inclusion. Um, yeah, Dude, the creepiest talk. part
1: of that is in the first game when, uh, like half the people get slaughtered by the uh the snipers. Uh, actually, one question: Do you think those guns were automated or there were shooters behind those guns? Because I thought there were shooters, but now I'm thinking they were so precise. I'm thinking they were linked to the um, that, you know, the the little not little girl, actually big little girl statue and they, they were all based on some kind of motion sensor because they did not miss hit anyone.
0: That was, that was my thought as well because, uh, her eyes kept moving like crazy and then, um, it would flash red then they would get shot and I just kind of thought that it was all automated myself yeah yeah. because it's
1: like if it was a person how would they get that message like it would be like okay shoot this person and then it was just so quick like Mm -hmm. it must must have been automated two
0: people from shooting the same person like it just yeah or like
1: accidentally shooting the wrong person or yeah yeah, that would have anyway but you know after like half the people are completely butchered you get the the PA announcer who sounds like the voice that you you see hear in like an airport being like you know, uh, you know, a reminder, please, please do not move after, uh, you know, the saying or else you will be eliminated. <laughs> it's just so creepy because every other is just instantly just been traumatized by seeing this horrible slaughter and you just got this like kind of friendly corporate PR type of voice telling them, you know, uh, you know, please, please don't stop or we'll have to shoot you.
0: Yeah. And it makes me think of, I think, the sociologist name is eva eluse but she has this thing about how uh you know uh it's a book called cold intimacies the making of emotional capitalism and it's just about how like you know but a concept called emotional capitalism where like you know people have to pretend to be happy at the desks you know at a hotel and there's all this uh Wait, she the one who coined
1: the term "uh emotional labor." That sounds I think like she,
0: I think she might have been. I think she okay. might have been. Um, if if I'm wrong, please somebody tell me. I actually read this book, but I forgot a lot of this book. But she might have been the one to have coined emotional emotional labor. I will actually double check while while we talk. But um, oh no, Arlie Arlie Hochschild, uh, I believe coined emotional emotional okay. labor. But uh, her book is, she has a book that's about something similar. Her book is called What is It? What is It called? Oh, the the managed the managed heart, you know, mm-hmm. and just about how um, uh, similar things. But but yeah, it's um, I, I like that the thing was full of that about how there's so much uh, fakeness. And you know, it's interesting. What it reminded me of a lot too, specifically, was a tech company because tech companies have that merging between grown up and child, like like you know, how tech companies yeah. try to seem like we're a cool workplace. So we have a ping pong room or Nerf guns have, or some, sh- yeah, Nerf shit guns like that, and all yeah. this dumb stuff and taco Tuesdays and bring your dog to work. <laughs> and, and they make it seem like a giant childlike workplace. And I know people who have worked for like those tech companies and they bought, they bought in like totally. And they would bring us to their Christmas parties and office parties. And everybody was like so jealous, but then the company gets bought or, or goes public or whatever. And they would just say how, how, the thing just gradually turned into just a regular workplace, but they still kept trying to fake like the original cool workplace thing was going on. So there'd be like whispers and layoffs and people getting tapped on the shoulder, like you know, don't tell anybody, but uh, there's gonna be layoffs tomorrow, but you're safe, but you have to pretend to be cool for the rest of the day and all this stuff. And then my friend was like telling me uh, after he left like this this place, right, that he was uh, done with those type of companies because he's like I'd rather just be in an asshole corporation than buy into like this um open open floor plan, um games all the time, fun, we're all a family type of thing when it's just all becomes the same thing anyway. You know yeah,
1: just, not only yeah. really that, but the, the stuff they put in is, is meant to work you even harder and make you I mean, don't those tech companies call their places campuses? Yep. Like as yep. in like you know, as in like a like a boarding school or like a, a college where you actually live there. Even even like the, the, the most heartless of you know investment banks or law firms wouldn't conceive of their offices as places where they expect you to actually comfortably live there. It, it would be like, oh, you gotta pull an all nighter. Um that's it, still kind of not supposed to be in your natural employments uh, state of being. But yeah, they, they 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 probably have like you know like breakfast dispensers uh all built out because you're just supposed to live there.
0: Yeah. And you know, there's uh dry cleaning, gyms, all these different things. And you know, somebody I know was working for one of those places, uh, at Google was telling me how it was like, uh, it was, it was a girl. She was telling me how like people were looking at her weird, but she wanted to leave. Cause it would just be like, um, well, we have that here. What do you want to leave for? Like, you know, <laughs> you can, you know, then she realized, oh, this is kind of like a, like a trap. It's a, it's the trap presented as a gift. You know, like she, she wants to go get some air and they're like, you know, why go to an outside gym? You have a gym here or, you know, want to use the the ca- the campus drag cleaning
1: and yeah, or yeah for sure we can give you a tank and you can uh, hook yourself up to uh to the oxygen bar Um uh, actually w- one thing I want to discuss is the uh, protagonist Hong Dae uh because I I've seen some people complain about the fact that he is just like not a good father because among other things he you know at the end I mean. I'm sure people. So I will spoil this. You know, he at uh, the the last scene is him uh, about to board the plane to go to America to see his uh, daughter and ex-wife. But then he turns back, and it sets up uh, potentially the second season where you know he'll go all like uh, old boy on the uh, the games people and take them down in in a mad uh, quest for revenge. And then some people were complaining about that, like, oh, he wasn't good to his mother, and he's a degenerate gambler, which is all true. Uh, But it just highlighted for me the fact that Asian Americans, and I think just kind of like minority Americans, or maybe even just like liberal Americans in general, really have a hard time accepting genuinely flawed protagonists. And I mean, and the deadbeat dad is kind of a stock character in a lot of Korean dramas and movies. Like, like the, the, the dad who uh, you know you're supposed to like, but he just so happens that every cent that comes his way, he invests in some uh, crackpot scheme or in some like gambling venture, and you know his his children or or his wife or his parents have to you know keep bailing him out. It's very common in in just, like Korean
0: pop culture. The Thing I was uh, reading about South Korea is that. Um, there is a lot of like crushing debt that happens there, and a lot of um, loan sharking when I was reading things that were giving context. Yeah, to I mean, things, it, it, things it was like, well, I,
1: I know very little about the 97 Asian financial crisis, but I think the fact that uh, Korea had a very high uh, household debt was w- one of the things that was particularly uh, damaging to like the average Korean uh because of that that economic yeah, catastrophe
0: yeah and one thing one thing with debt like you know if you've ever had like a lot of debt it's um it's easy to rationalize high risk things because it's like the slow and steady thing just seems impossible so right uh, yeah psychologically like there is like a basis um to that that I think a lot of people probably like you know don't get like if and and he was kind of saying stuff like that he was like this money that you're making or saving or whatever is not going to be enough to put even a a dent in a dent of the debt so you know why not just spend the money or just like you know gamble it and try to um win big at least because you know this money doesn't really make that big a difference and difference anyway so so i think but then making those big plays and making those desperate choices you know in the hope of a big payday uh is exactly about getting you into more trouble but there is like i think a psychological and cultural like uh basis for it but i think the problem with a lot of minority americans is that they feel like they're always on trial cuz yeah. every piece of representation they get they feel like it's going to be make it or break it and i think it's a wrong way to think because there's no real amount of good representation that's ever going to change anything like like for example there's a lot of these movies right where they're like oh we need this movie to win because then that'll show like white america that minority movies are profitable, but they know that. They've had so many examples. How many Eddie Murphy films made a lot of money? Best Mm -hmm. Man movies made a ton of money. And every time it happens, there's an article This shows that minority films are viable, you know, but then the next time a Gods of Egypt or something comes and they cast everybody white, someone will be like, well, what do you want? You know, minority stuff doesn't uh, sell. Like, it's bullshit. Just do what makes you happy because no matter how many examples you give, it's always going to be the exception. Uh, It's going to be the official talking point, or it's going to have a cultural amnesia where you have to prove it to them again. Whereas on the flip side, 50 white-led things will fail, and each of them will always be an exception somehow. Like, you know, the gods of Egypt, the Exodus, all these things they keep casting on white people, they've seen them fail over and over again. But when the next one comes, and it's time to like whitewash the casting, they're still going to insist that you need white people to move the stuff. And all the gods of Egypt and exoduses of the world are going to be forgotten and all the black panthers and crazy rich asians of the world you know will be uh treated as like you know flukes. so I, I just think a lot of these minority americans should uh you know kind of just get over it but i guess the foreign cinema like nigerian cinema korean cinema etc because everybody there is of the same race you know there's more room for balance like one character doesn't carry the weight representing the whole race, you know?
1: Yeah, but even in something like a, you know, Crazy Rich Asians or, you know, other things that are predominantly of the same minority, like like an insecure or, you know, like, you know whatever, or, or like Master of None, I suppose, is, could also fall into that. I think, yes, they are afraid of what white people think, but I think what else is going on is, I think there's a sense that, okay, if if you put, let's say, someone like like, like a Sung gi uh, the protagonist of of uh, squid game his like asian american equivalent would be like like a middle aged uh, asian american dad type triggers a lot of resentments uh in uh let's say asian americans like okay if this guy is not a paragon of virtue by our standards uh why does he get the spotlight? Why does he get to represent us? Why do you know all that? So I think as much, if not maybe even more so, than the fear of like, oh well, white people judge us kind of thing, is this um this kind of like jealousy, this jockeying for position to be the the face of your community. And if somebody is you feel is you know outside of your group or is going to represent a, a point of view that won't uh suit your agenda the most, uh there comes this anger because there was a very uh, odd article. I mean, it, odd in the sense that it, it, it didn't make any sense. I, I could totally predict an article like this eventually coming out. It was for slate. And the writer was saying that uh, a squid game was in the end, uh, just yet another kind of this old fashioned K drama thing that where everything could related to nostalgia and family, which like, if, if you can make a convincing case, I'm all open to see that, but like, she was saying, for instance, that Kiyun, the protagonist, the only reason he, the value he personified uh, and for which he was allowed to be the hero was he was in you know, looking back at this kind of better Korea uh, and by which you probably meant one more, more like socially conservative and politically conservative Korea. And that's what the film was trying or, or the show was trying to valorize. Yet remember in the end, he abandons his family kind of, and that's what a lot of people got mad at him for. So it's like, okay, you cannot be both things. If he is the avatar for old fashioned family values, then the ending would have been, um, he goes home and, or, or not home, but goes to America and, and becomes the, the father, uh, to his daughter that he never was able to. Now that he has all this money, he can finally not be the deadbeat dad anymore, but he doesn't do that. He actually stays kind of true to his character in which he is just this very unreliable man. Uh, and now he has this, like, uh, like ten lifetimes worth of PTSD to deal with, and and his life is probably now going to be consumed with trying to get revenge on the the Squid Game people. So it's just I I could kind of sense that what she was really upset about was yeah you know this this thing that I've because because you know I kind of looked her up she's she's you know kind of like in her early thirties she's like uh she was educated in America and you know she's writing for places like Slate and my sense was that. She probably spent a lot of her life kind of looking down on these, like just like Korean dramas in general. And now it's the hot new thing. And way more than whatever Asian-Americans or like Western educated Asians have been able to produce. Turns out that not only Americans, but basically every, uh, almost every people in the world, I'm mean, considering how big the popularity of Squid Game is, prefers that stuff to like the Asian-American stuff. And I think it was her just trying to find a way to disqualify it.
0: You know, you know, what's interesting, right, is uh, when I was on your show, I was talking about the concept of civilization uh, and this feeling that yeah. in, in the West, in the um, majority white countries of the West, uh, minorities who are born into these majority white countries, we get kind of forced to relate to each other as uh, siblings, you know, and, you know, we get this kind of, Sibling society, but I was thinking about it since then. And I was like, it's actually, I think, two things, Um, you know, you know, like we look at all the, the discourse, you know, uh, the gender war discourse, where there's like black blue check Twitter or you look at like um, Asian American Reddit or whatever. There's this kind of thing where people aren't arguing or discussing like patriarchs and matri- matriarchs in their own right as a new adults, but like just adult siblings, like, you know, people still arguing serious topics like patriarchy and stuff like that. But when you ask them to explain what like uh, black American patriarchy is or Asian American patriarchy, they'll be they'll talk about things like how their brother didn't have to wash the dishes uh, growing up and like, you know, weird things where it's like, okay, that's like a weird sibling concern. It's not a real, you know, head of a community type of concern. But the reason I thought I said it I read it was incomplete is that I think there's a second thing that is the only way minorities can interact with each other. Uh, being raised in America, Europe, or like, you know, white Western countries. And that's uh, support groups. It's siblings and support groups. So it's either you're, everyone's treating each other like siblings, you know, even like when people of the same race, like marry, there's still, I think, almost something more of a sibling dynamic than what, you know, their parents might've had uh, coming from the old countries or whatever. But um, on top of that, I should should, should clarify. I, I think it depends on how, similarly you are too because i think you know uh black descendants of american slaves i don't you know were not immigrants or whatever they've been here for multiple generations but when you look at like you know old movies or hear old stories or see old couples uh who were part of like a black community and in america and not like tokens in a white community they don't behave with each other like siblings like you know if you see like a lot of these old black communities and whatever people would be the man in the house the woman in the house everybody acted a certain way so i think it's not just being in in the white west but also uh, being assimilated to a certain degree but you either interact with each other like siblings or like support groups and what you do is you basically just get together and bitch about white people in, in your lives and how they're not accepting you or letting you assimilate at the speed that you would like, or whatever. So, like when these people do form minority friendships, their friendships are still kind of centered around sibling gripes. And and in the in this type of minority sibling society, um, the parents basically become the um, white people. You know, like 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 white people are the parents that you're competing for the attention of. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all. That, uh, that's just one last thing. I think that affects how that writer able to interpret Squid Game because when she looks at that art, that thing, she's kind of thinking, to me, I think when she sees something that takes place in the old country with the middle-aged man, and she's talking about the family values, I think she's working out some weird shit with her parents and her, and I think you're kind of trying to say that yourself, like, you know, uh, her issues with the home culture and her, how she finds it regressive and it's almost like her way to virtue signaling that, um, to people who read that, you know, I'm Asian American, I'm not like these people i'm uh more progressive and here's why these people are bad but it's almost to convince non-koreans that they're bad because she doesn't want americans to actually start liking these people more than uh they like her especially after she spent a lifetime maybe being embarrassed and distancing herself from this to begin with
1: yeah and that is the ultimate insult in that she spent most of her life kind of like looking down on your parents or your peers who are, you know, like Fobbier or whatever. And But in the end, it turns out that the people you're trying to impress
0: actually you like those people what, better. Can you explain what fobby is for people who don't no, know No, fob
1: is, uh, it, it mainly means like fresh off the boat. It, uh, I've heard people try to update it. I mean, fresh off the Boeing. So, you know, it's like, I guess it's a class upgrade. You're no longer traveling by a rickety old raft. You're actually flying by plane, but it, it just means unass- less assimilated Asians. So you know, people who either only hang out with other Asians, kind of like speak more in their you know ancestral languages, just kind of like don't really seek that that white assimilation or even like non-Asian assimilation, are pretty content uh, to to you know hang out in their uh, enclave circles and in, in the hierarchy of Asian Americans, at least in in relative to what you know the elite white liberal C, uh, those were kind of like the lower Asians. They were the ones who couldn't make it into the mainstream, the ones who, you know, weren't cool enough or interesting enough or whatever, therefore they had to resort to only hang out with other Asians. And no, it was the, the Asian Americans who, uh, you know, studied uh, like comp lit at an Ivy League university and then went on to get an MFA or went on to uh, become an actor or went on to write for BuzzFeed or Vice, So it's like, not only do we get more people excited, it also costs a lot less. Why don't we kind of just uh, outsource essentially our our, our stuff to there, especially the the kind of like the diversity, equity, and inclusion kind of stuff? And oh man, is that a huge threat to that complex, that
0: whole industry? The funny thing is, um, the reasons why their stuff is not resonating is so obvious because the same reason why the black blue check stuff is not resonating. And there was a recent article that was kind of lamenting that not enough people it was, it was one of them There's one about the Underground Railroad asking and then they started saying stuff like well it was never meant to get a lot of viewership or awards was, I'm like okay get the fuck out of here you, no <laughs> one's making doing this out of charity you know but there was they're trying to move the goalposts but there was another one that recently came out where it was basically saying that you know the reason this stuff is doing so bad is because black people are expected to be perfectly excellent and twice as good so they're saying that their stuff is so good that um, you know, like all this bad uh, think piece, think piece theater.
1: Um, I love that term, by the way, think piece theater. It's just so funny. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, oh, oh yeah, because 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 it's not masterpiece theater because these aren't masterpieces. This is just film think pieces. So yeah, instead of masterpiece theater, these people just create think piece theater. It's it's just horrible. Nobody wants to watch. People even want to read think pieces. Like well, but, but the original thing that like think pieces only exist for people to to dunk on on Twitter. That's pretty much the only thing that's really true. Yeah, you know. So who, who wants to like watch two hours of that? You know, except people who write think pieces because they're hoping to get uh, called up from the minors to do movies. It's 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 horrible. And and um
1: yeah. And I think I think that's why something like Squid Game probably scares a lot of the you know the the kind of like minority Americans who thought they were in the ascendancy that they were capturing agencies like all uh, you know HBO or Netflix and you know like it's and you've documented on your show many times about how they don't get any ratings. Yeah, they'll get like some award nominations, but you know, nobody cares. I mean, these awards, people are like caring about it less and less with each passing year. But, you know, they could always say, hey, you know what? Uh, Well, too bad because you got to do this for diversity's sake. And if the ratings are bad, it's just because like, oh, Amer- Americans are just too damn racist. Yeah. Then comes this thing, which is way more foreign and non-white than anything they can do. Often like, well, I don't know about often, but many times, like a lot of these are Minority American stuff is always about the one uh, minority, but they're trying to fit into a white world. So it's not even that diverse in the sense that it's, except for maybe the main character or a few supporting characters It's uh, the the cast is not uh, all of that minority group, but you got this thing that's like totally Korean, all in the Korean language, all these like often kind of hard to understand cultural references, and people eat it up. Totally undermines their position. Be like, maybe people just don't like your stuff because you suck.
0: Well, well, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to get at, right? Well, one problem is right. Even if the show is all is all Asian or all black itself. It's still considered a minority show in that it's one of the few all black or all Asian shows. So even if the person is not a token within the show and therefore carries the weight of representing the race, the show itself will be, oh, this is one of the few minority shows that's out there now. So everybody on the show has to be good because, you know, the whole show is a token, you know. So like a Korean show or a Nigerian show, I feel like what or, you know, any other type of um show from a country like like an Indian show a Bollywood show is it's not just that the whole cast is of a certain race or culture but th- they have a whole industry with tons and tons of different kind of movies so you can have like your version of like a bad Santa we you know where the person is just like a loathsome Billy Bob Thornton type you know character that's also kind of endearing and funny and all this stuff where these people don't really feel that freedom you know um even in their all Asian American shows, you get kind of things like always be my maybe like, like that one was one of the better ones in terms of it was less objectionable than a lot of other Asian American ones that I've seen like that uh, to all the boys. I thought that was like really uh, horrible, but even that one, there's this weird kind of, even that had this weird kind of sibling energy to it. Like, you know, I didn't really feel like Ali Wong and uh, his name Randall Park. Is that his name? Yeah. Randall Park. Yeah, they didn't really feel... Like, like for example, when Keanu Reeves comes around, even though people like to now make a big deal about it, him being part Asian, I still think he kind of codes as, you know, a white guy, especially in relation to the other Asian characters. Well, and let's it was, be real,
1: Keanu Reeves is, like, 99% white. Like, nobody knew knows he's, like, part Asian except for the fact that he's kind of, like, talked about it, but before... Nobody, when they watched The Matrix, thought, hey, this is an Asian guy. Everyone thought he was just a white guy with... Kind of dark hair. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. I mean, you can kind of see it once it's pointed out to you, but yeah, it didn't jump out at anybody, I don't think, you know? And, um, yeah, but there's a different type of chemistry and magnetism and dynamic, you know, when, when he was there, but, you know, with, with the rest of them, it was like, and even at the end, like with the restaurant, she kind of becomes like his mother in a way, like she inherits the mother's recipe. There's just something really kind of strange about it. And when your whole industry, your whole worldview is, of a culture you get just so much more more freedom but i think another reason why these people uh suck and this is what i was um getting at like the paradox is like they were if they had the mental or emotional capacity to be able to tell why they're not interesting then they wouldn't be uninteresting in the first place like it's kind of a paradox like you can't teach them explain to them why they're so boring because if they were capable of grasping that explanation they would never have become this boring in the first place. Like the exact thing that makes them so boring is the exact thing that keeps them from unlearning being boring. And what that is, is they have not changed the blueprint since Joy Luck Club. They've just been refine, refining and, you know, adding a little bit more think piece, you know, jargon and academic stuff and, you know, updating little things here and there. But it's still basically, it's... St- and before then, like the... I mean, it's still just basically white men asian females that is the face of i think asian american culture or um martial arts for for the guys And even that has been kind of like dying in the past couple of uh decades it kind of came back with uh shang chi and they made a big and push warrior that. too and, oh, yeah. and even, oh, yeah. even more combat against that too they they don't talk about either show really
1: yeah um but yeah. Okay. One thing I want to address is yeah, the the complete like asexuality of Asian American love, which is probably most um favorably depicted in something like Always Be My Maybe, but it's also just like it's very it's like it's cold bloody. You don't get the sense that these are two people that genuinely want to fuck each other, which is why I think I really liked uh Minya and Toksu, who are these two kind of gross characters. But I don't know. I just got this sense from them that they had this fire for each other as, as, as messed up as it was.
0: Yeah, It, it, you it was toxic, s- but animalistic in a very organic way.
1: Right. And that's what Asian Americans need. We don't have enough of that, like toxic love for each other. We have a lot of like toxic hatred for each other, but we don't have toxic love. And that's what we really, need. we don't really need any more of these like Valentine's day, cutesy, often like, like political, which is, Deeply, deeply unsexy. Like I like you because I'm now woke and I, I'm making um a conscious some decision. kind of like yeah. conscious decision, and I'm trying to make amends for my uh you know like adolescent child uh, self hating, which is like good, but it's like it's not gonna get anyone aroused. So and, and that's why I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, the toxic hate is from a sibling perspective, and then the love is like from a sibling slash support group uh perspective, and neither is very uh sexy like like um
1: no i think toxic love is very natural in any kind of romantic relations like you see if you look at the the history of any kind of like let's just say like english literature you know like you you think of like heathcliff and and kathy you know and something like wuthering Heights. that's like that's toxic as hell but that's what people love that's what people cling to they don't want to think about some very uh politically correct neat well, rationed, uh, rationalized type of love. No, they want the messy shit, and I, I think that's what Asian Americans are just incapable of conceptualizing between us, at least in the cultural, in our cultural expressions.
0: Well, yeah, but I think there's like a toxic familial or sibling love, and a toxic, like you know, uh, sexual, like romantic love. So I think even when they do kind of get into like that toxic, um, toxic kind of love in Asian American stuff, it still ends up having this kind of family feel to it. Like, it doesn't feel like yeah, those, those two
1: characters. Very, yeah, it's very, it's very, very, like, non-sexual, which is why I, I was actually very surprised that in Squid Game, one thing that's uh, quite unusual about Squid Game is that it's only nine episodes. Like, most Korean dramas run from anywhere between, like, 20 to, some go on for, like, 100, but this was only nine, which I thought really helped it because a lot of Korean dramas kind of lose steam after about 10-ish episodes. That's when like the, the story peaks. And you know, by like episode 19, they're obviously just trying to like you
0: know <laughs> draw it out. But, but, but Nine- the feeling the feeling I was getting from this was that it was not really trying to be a Korean drama. I, I, I feel like it was trying to be regular Korean drama, what the Sopranos was to network Drama when it first appeared, like you know, looks more cinematic. Yeah, than network TV has less episodes because uh, based on this, Netflix has been uh, recommending me a shit ton of Korean drama, and I was like so eager for another uh, hit of Squid Game. I've been trying <laughs> them, and they're just way different. I'm like, okay, this feels like soap opera ish. I started liking some of them, like I was watching one called Vincenzo but oh, yeah, i had to I kind had... of accept it more like camp and more like a network it felt more like a cbs or a cw show you know whereas this thing feels like someone who's making a movie so i feel like i don't know if this is a an established genre in in uh korean tv yet or not or to or my prestige, knowledge no or prestige it, yeah i don't know if this is their sopranos like their first attempt at prestige drama but i agree with you and i think it's by design i think they tried to make their own version of prestige drama, something halfway between a network TV show and an art house movie.
1: Yeah. And and uh, you know, I can tell because there's, there's actually a very explicit sex scene between Minya and Toksu, which like most Korean dramas like they will hold off on the kiss. And the kiss will often come in like episode nine or ten, which you know marks the the climax. It's like, you know, the will they won't date been drawn out for you know, at least a couple of months and now it culminates in in that first kiss as opposed to squid game, which shows a really just kind of gross sex scene in a bathroom stall <laughs> in like episode three or four, which when I saw I was like, wow, I've never seen that in in like a Korean drama. You see it in like Korean movies, but in dramas which tend to, I think, Tend to be more like rom coms. They're aimed at just like a more you know like G to PG rated audience. Squid Game is definitely out of the norm from my experience. For yeah, a and the drama.
0: um the actors feel different. Like like there were two shows that you know I tried. I didn't finish either because not because I didn't like them, but because they're like pretty long. Um, mm-hmm. But one was like The Vincenzo, and one was a hometown Cha Cha Cha. Like they both. Were like kind of pushed on me and the actors feel like the korean version of cw actors you know cw actors have this kind of look to them they look kind of like underwear models they're all pretty
1: slash... boys and yeah. pretty girls yeah they're...
0: yeah and the, you could tell even with the culture gap that the acting is not as good whereas this thing felt like um the type of actors i see in the actual uh movies the the cinematic like you know highbrow movies are not as pretty they're better uh, actors better range uh, and I started looking up articles about this stuff and I started finding out that a lot of these people are actually kind of big movie stars who are taking like little cameo roles or short roles because basically yeah, the
1: two biggest two biggest yeah. movie stars in Korea right now Yi Byung-hyun who played the front man and Kong Yoo who played the the salesman the, the guy who plays the Dakji game are, are the two biggest movie stars in Korea and uh, the protagonist uh, played by Yi Jung-jae is a long time TV and movie star he is he you know he's not like some k pop star who who for whom is like the first or second role he is a very well established very highly respected actor so yeah this this was not your just typical kind of teeny bopper type of k drama
0: yeah and i i was reading that the director and writer is normally a movie guy not a tv guy and they were saying that's Part of the reason he was able to call in these favors, he had pre-existing relationships with these yeah, big, yeah. these big movie stars. So, and the same thing happens with prestige TV as well. Like, there's a lot of actors who would not, I think, go down to um, network TV because they would feel like it's too much of a downgrade. But a lot of them are willing to do prestige. Like, for example, uh, Nicole Kidman has been doing a lot of prestige prestige drama.
1: But, yeah, big Little Lies. I was a big fan of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I feel like you would not see her go to an NBC show. Or do like a, no, a, a no, Chicago no. Met or something, and I feel this had the same the same feeling and stuff. But it was it was um yeah. I mean, I thought the show was pretty good. A lot of people were complaining like, oh, you know, uh, it's it's very unnuanced and beats you over the head. But I think you know people weren't looking um deep enough. I feel like there was a lot, like I said, the whole fake uh capitalist niceness and the, also like the fake kind of wokeness. Like they kept talking about. This is a perfect example, right? Like like um. If you look at the little things, I think there's a lot of things that pick up each time. And one thing I noticed was that they kept trying to act like there was a lofty goal to the thing, you know, where they kept saying uh, these people uh, have not been given a chance out in the real world, you know, so the egalitarian nature of the game is the most important thing. Remember they kept giving like all those speeches? Yeah, yeah. But then at the end of it all, oh, you see the VIP show up and they're like these disgusting, decadent, um, obese, hedonistic like Westerners. Can I just
1: give a very unpopular opinion? Please do. I like the I like the VIPs. I liked how corny and hammy they were. My theory is that they is, were all strung out on some super designer drug. And is that an unpopular opinion? Because I thought they were. Yeah, everyone awesome hates them. I, I I recently discovered there's a whole subreddit for Squid Game. Oh, I mean, of course there is.
0: Wait, wait, and wait, everyone wait, hates wait, the VIPs. Wait, they hate them in the way that the um creators intended. Like like like. Oh no, because or- they were bad actors.
1: And they were poorly written?
0: Oh, I don't think so at all. That's so ridiculous. I don't think they were... But I I had a lot of fun just watching them because they seemed to be having a good time. I think they were one of the best touches. You mean
1: they're like horrible, like 69 jokes and just kind of very like unnatural
0: delivery? I didn't even think the delivery was that unnatural. I thought they sounded like regular guys to me. To me, I don't know. I didn't see this bad acting. on. Uh I guess everyone's uh, Siskel and
1: Ebert and they were critiquing how, how bad they were as actors. But... I actually thought that made them even more grotesque and just inhuman. Uh, someone actually, someone online brought up the fact that just given how uh, weird that, you know, the Zuckerbergs and Bezos types act in just real life, that might actually be how they would
0: act if they oh, were yeah.
1: watching these games, just totally corny and mm. just weird
0: and lame. I strongly <laughs> disagree that they were bad actors. I think they were accurately portraying uh Discussing people like you know i think i think they were very accurately playing an unpleasant type of person but i thought it was very very important i got a feeling it's that american um viewpoint that's coming out like oh why are you including these white people in this movie and you're um taking away you know the unique koreanness of it i feel like maybe that is partially you know uh because i just feel like it's how people evaluate things in america now like all the think piece people writing about this thing are so horrible. They're always trying to find weird, woke reasons not to like it, or, you know, like um, they don't like how the, how the girls died and that's sexist, like they shouldn't have died that way, or, you know, it's homophobic to have the, you know, Westerners be, uh, one of them be queer, or the whole family values thing, and uh, like the family values article that, that we were talking about at the beginning, like to me that's so silly because every thing has a viewpoint, you know, and even if this thing's viewpoint was that family is all, how many American shows are about that? How many American shows, like, like for example, Taken, like, you know, is Taken about family being all, that like this guy's ready to kill, like, you know, half a countryside to rescue his daughter. But, but it's because they have this hangup about their own families, that they're judging this on some unrealistic standards. Like, how many American things are all about how uh, family is important? You know, avenging my brother, avenging my wife, or, you know... Uh, saving a family member or you know family family having each other's backs like this whole sitcoms full of family dramas and yeah it's it's like they just view their parent cultures as something that they need to desperately get away from like the conservatism of but that leads them I think in a way to over, estimating how progressive white american culture is and i think white american culture even among liberals is very very progressive but they just don't see it that way like they look at everything white with these rose-colored progressive glasses that you know white people are always so much more open-minded or so much more um uh, iconoclastic and willing to shed tradition which i think is not really giving i think they not only have a warped view of where their parents came from but they have this warp view developed in childhood from you know you know being jealous of their white friends of you know overestimating how cool and you know like for example in like black circles and stuff i've seen like black people online like talk about how what like having a white boyfriend is like you know and it's like no i know like white couples and there's cheating there's all this type of stuff and all this stuff going on and abuse i don't know why you think only black couples have like abuse and cheating or they'll, or they'll be like you know white parents, like white families don't have all the molesting and all this stuff. It's like, what are you talking about? There's so much stories of, you know, molestation or whatever happened in in white families, but they actually don't really understand white people except for their interactions with them as, as tokens, you know? And, um,
1: and and I think that's why they have to attack things like Squid Game on the, you know, familiar, uh, just kind of like social justice-y type of fronts, you know, it's racist that's what people call the Ali character, which is a lot more like nuanced than just, it's just uh, a naive, dumb South Asian guy. There is a whole critique of, like for for exa- example, I think some people are saying, oh, why is he always calling like Sango's hajang name? And it's just, I, I don't know too much about, you know, like Korean culture. I did live there for a couple of years. My parents live there now, but, you know, I'm not going to say I grew up there. I, I've worked there. I've, I've uh, gone to school. I've gone to the military. There. I haven't done any of that. So, but, you know, there are certain titles you call people just, just based on assumptions, like the salesman, the Yu character calls uh Kiyon uh, 선생님, which literally like means teacher, but it's like it, it, you, in Korean culture, you don't call rarely call someone by their first name. And even when you do, you you often add something like uh to, to indicate some level of respect. So they were saying, uh, this is an example of just typical like yellow privileged East Asian colorism against South Asian. You know, this very like uh, Americanist view. Uh I think there's a term we, we need to come up with a term that uh describes Americans who, you know, despite uh, thinking themselves very progressive and worldly, actually see everything through the lens of their own narrow American experience. So they they put the lay, uh, racism charge mainly on the uh, the Ali character, and then they put the misogyny charge on. I, I, I read this one article saying how like why were the final two contestants men? How come like Sebyeok and Cheong had to die? This was an example of just the uh, the show's misogyny. The funny thing about that article, which was published in Salon, that very uh prestigious publication, was that she admitted actually these characters, yeah, they were well written, they're very complex, and they actually advanced a lot of just these like feminist messages. Often a recurring theme uh in this is that don't underestimate uh essentially like non-prime aged men, you know, don't discount the elderly, don't discount women uh just based on you know physical strength because there are other important factors so you should admit it that hey you know what D- these weren't characters that were used to show how women were inferior to men but nevertheless because they weren't the final to contestants ah show shows misogynistic and then there's also an article in digital spy that said the, the vips were queer coded and uh the most prominent of them tries to uh force to know the the cop to go down on him, and they were saying that that was homophobic. So it's it's the familiar attempts to try to you know cut down this foreign thing that is potentially encroaching on their territory, and to install themselves as the very necessary cultural middlemen and women uh, who need to uh, essentially vet and cleanse this incorrigibly uh, backwards. Asian cultural works that are clearly way more popular than the stuff anything that like Asian Americans or minority Americans come up with.
0: And one thing that's kind of weird about these types of um, minority American blue checks is that they to a certain degree valorize or worship culture or Western values or viewpoints or Western ideals of their own progressivism They value that more than they actually value the culture that they came from. They want more representation. And I think it leads to a weird place where they think the real value of minorities is to prove that they can be better, more enlightened Westerners than even white people. You know, not that they can bring their own unique values of their home cultures that go against Western values. Because they actually look down on those values as much so it's, it's weird they want more minorities in things but they're actually have a low opinion of actual uh minority culture so it's kind of like they want koreans probably preferably korean americans because then they'll be even more progressive but not the actual they don't want to actually say korean culture might be better in a lot of ways american culture except for shadow culture like the food you know like like they'll be like oh uh, white people don't season food, but look at, uh, you know, black people season food and everything, you know, better. Or white people can't dance, but black people can't, uh, can dance. Or like, you know, uh, white people can't cook, but Asian people can cook better. Like they'll champion the home culture for that. But if it's like, uh, hey, views on um, homosexuality or uh, women's rights, the West all the way to them. Like, you know, there, there, could, there could be no way that the parent cultures can be, better on actual substantive, intellectual, political um, topics. So I think what kind of happens is when you get to scenes like where the VIPs come, the VIPs are you know kind of bad because they're white, you know what I mean? And they're taking away space from Asian people. They're probably going to be racist, you know, and they're sensitive to that because they'll feel like if they don't like non-white people, they're not going to like me either. But, you know, even they, like these uh, minority Americans, think of the VIPs deep down as being, uh, more enlightened, even if they are selfish assholes, their culture is more, is more enlightened than in whatever. So, um, they can't think of, for example, my mother one time was telling me about, uh, growing up in Haiti and growing up, uh, poor. And she said that, well, it's interesting about growing up in Haiti was that, um, used to have a lot of people, including even military people, they would, come there and kind of use, uh, poor kids. It was known that, you know, you stayed away from the docks, you stayed away from the sailors because they would use a lot of, uh, poor kids to do a bunch of things that they couldn't do back home with, with people. Like, you know, say like you were like closeted or something at home and you know, you didn't want to do it at home, but you can go there and do all types of stuff. So she said like, there was a lot of, um, uh, molesting of kids of both genders, you know, or you know, people trying to have sexual favors with, like, you know, poor locals, you know, for like for like peanuts, or take advantage of of kids and everything. And if you know that context, not that it would excuse any type of homophobia, but that context might make you see that they might see Western homosexuality in a slightly different uh, vantage point than than you have, because they 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 for them they associate it with rich people using their um, country as a playground. It doesn't mean that all homosexual people are like that or like all homosexual people are exploiters or whatever. But if you try to look at their context, you might be able to understand it a little more, even if you can't explicitly um, condone it. And that could be part of like how what's informing, you know, how they view the decadent Westerners and what the guy tries to do with, using the cop as a plaything, it you might give it a little more of a sympathetic context even if you don't fully condone it but they just can't see it that way because they totally because well, it's
1: because yeah. it's them it would be uh oh maybe not an indictment but it would devalue their their own identity because if you are like a asian american or maybe even an asian who like studied grew up mostly in asia but happened to be writing for a vice or uh or a new york times or a a vox or something you probably have been educated somewhat significantly in the west you are obviously accepted to a high degree if you are getting bylines at these publications so it is in your very deep interest that um the 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 foundation, you know, as, as critical you are as of you know being anti-imperialist or being you know anti-white or you know whatever uh people pretend to be deep down you do believe that a foundation of just kind of like Western liberal values is the best foundation to build something on. And on top exactly. of that, your the extra uh, oomph you bring in as uh you know an an asian or or an african or like a latin american and it's just also seasoning
0: it's just seasoning exactly on, it's this is the better main course western pluralism is the better main course it's like
1: grilled chicken and yeah. i am the the saffron or or the the you know the cajun spice or something that makes it better but you you still want to have the the chicken as the main base you don't want like some rotting uh, vegetable, you know, which yes. they might see as their like home cultures, and I think that's why something like Squid Game and other um, things that are outside their jurisdiction. You know, we we've talked a lot about uh, this kind of like agency capture. They're not very good at capturing actual people in terms of audiences, but they are very skilled at capturing institutions and agencies. And as they've been doing that, we've seen a lot of people just kind of drop out of culture. Just like, as I said, these award shows that once used to be the, you know, the Super Bowl of American culture. Now it's like, how many people actually watch like Nomadland? Like nobody. In fact, like Parasite was probably one of the more exciting uh, entries and it was because it wasn't American. And And actually, let's talk about that. Like, why is America just so, it's like, it's suffering from this like atrophy where we can't say anything big. It's either, if we, if we want something big, it's stupid. Like, like, you know, most comic book movies. And if we think we're saying something meaningful, it has to be very uh, insular, very, just kind of like domestic, very, um, you know, very elitist often, you know, it's about the, something like the chair, you know, which is about, Supposed to be about sexism and and racism and all that, but it's really confined to the limits of this super niche group that nobody really cares about.
0: Um, um, the kind of people that will be at the center of a bad of a bad art friend uh, narrative. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think that's why people are getting fed up. I think Americans also like, yeah, we don't really want to watch the Avengers Seven, uh, but we also don't really want to watch uh, these. Uh, you know, super niche uh, Netflix or HBO shows that try to dis- say that the the essence of racism is uh, some uh, some minority artists, microaggressions that they suffer when they're trying to get their painting um, put up at some exclusive ga- uh, gallery in Chelsea. Like we don't give a shit about that. And it has to come from abroad, a place like Korea where it says, you know what, we're going to do something big like these. Cause like uh, Parasite was ultimately a, big piece of entertainment. Everyone just was riveted. It wasn't boring. Nobody could say it was boring, but it also has something to say that touches everyone, which is often about just, you know, this like resource and wealth inequality. And Americans just seem incapable or unwilling to do that right now.
0: Yeah. And it's like white people are suffering from this same uh, think piece theater affliction, but at least they're white. So they can get the numbers, even the niche stuff, because it's still most of the population. So, uh, i don't think th- i don't think that stuff is setting the world on fire either like i'm sure the chair is not like you know setting the world on fire but i'm sure it's doing better than its uh black or asian american equivalent you know what i mean just because mm-hmm. even if you get like 10 percent of white people you you know you can still clear like you know uh enough to be considered profitable or whatever you know mm-hmm. and and it's kind of what like we were talking before about like these asian americans they don't know they're frustrated but it's like you're talking about the same stuff over and over again. You're an Asian and the white girl is getting more attention than you. Will you ever be able to catch the eye of the, of the blonde quarterback or, and then, and then the black stuff is becoming the same thing. If you look at like the hate you give, it's one of those children, tro- what I call one of those children horse shows where it pretends to be about, you know, police brutality and all that stuff. But it's really about, you know, the black girl um getting to be more popular than the white girl for once and getting the, <sighs> the dreamy white guy that's really what it's about it's not becoming, really becoming it.
1: a superhero in the process uh, yeah, of black lives matter it could have been really anything it didn't have to be black lives matter it yeah been, it could have you know.
0: been eight mile she, she could have been battle <laughs> rapper she could have been anything you know like 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 that scene with that scene with the protest and it's like real protesting now and that there was no goal she didn't accomplish anything in the protest what her accomplishment was at the protest was being seen yeah, She, she
1: a- yelled very inspirationally.
0: Yeah, yeah. She yelled inspirationally. They got nothing. There were no goals, but that's exactly what... Um, well, they got
1: King arrested, remember? Yeah. I think Mackie was arrested. Yeah, the only <laughs> thing they managed
0: to do was get a black man arrested. <laughs> that's the only actual one that was treated like a victory. But yeah, activism <sighs> now is about self-actualization and getting famous. And it really was a Black Lives Matter movie in that respect. But like protesting is like your moment. It's like, you know, you could play Eminem, lose yourself, you know, like you, you want to get an opportunity in a lifetime. You got to lose yourself. Like, like it's like that. That's exactly what it is. It's, it's like Rocky, you know, and and uh, it's, it's boring. Nobody wants, there's no depth to it. It's just all you working out your self-loathing and affirmation needs. And this thing is about so much more. And we were, we were joking to ourselves, like, Uh, Chris and I were talking behind the scenes, and I was saying how uh, I was using the black stuff as an example. And I was saying what's so annoying about these people is they're so boring. They recycle the same stuff, and then because they're so afraid of, and they have no ideas. But then when something new and unique comes out, like um, Jordan Peele and Get Out, instead of the lesson that they take from it being, wait a minute, maybe this did well. Because it wasn't like everything else. Like Jordan Peele actually had something unique to say. Maybe we should go back and try to think what is our story that we're bringing. They don't actually have any actual values or beliefs or anything, you know, except um, Mm -hmm. formed in reaction to to gatekeepers and stuff. They're success mongers, which is not
1: a surprise because a lot of them come from like Ivy League or Ivy League equivalent type of schools. You know, these are not scrappy people who jumped on a truck from some place in like Oklahoma yeah. and try to go to Hollywood. No, they're very like they're very well trained for success from an early age, whether it's in Hollywood or banking or medicine. It's the same type of people. But they're
0: trained for a very certain type of success, and what that is is impressing gatekeepers cuz right. um, there's different ways to be trained for success. Like some people are good at success because they're good at getting grassroots populist support. So it's like when you were growing up, you were the class clown or the most popular kid in every grade you were in and you uh, were the star of a football team and everybody wanted to be you, you know, but maybe you weren't good at impressing your teachers or liking the gatekeepers, but you, you, um, so you may be the class clown, always got the teachers upset, always in the principal's office, the actual people, the kids like, you know, loved you. And when you go into entertainment, you still carry that, uh, energy. You know what I mean? That, 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 uh, class clown, most popular person in any room type of person, but these people, their model for success is that they've always been able to impress um, gatekeepers but they've never been the class clown. They've never actually made anybody laugh. You know, they've they've never gotten like a, a belly laugh from anybody. They just when they decided to go into comedy, they just uh took improv and and studied it, you know, with a teacher and learned some rules and none of it's funny. It has like the cadence and the pacing and the Seeming structure of a joke, but like you know, no one laughs from their gut like at yeah. all. You just, get, you just get what they call clapter, you know, and it makes sense because their whole lives have been about, um, what do I have to do to get into this type of school or this type of career? What do they look for? Let me be that. If everyone's playing cellos, I'm gonna play a cello, but I have to volunteer. Okay, I'm gonna volunteer. They carry that into, um, Hollywood. But the problem is with Hollywood, at the end of the day, you have to eventually get that popular support. You know, you can't just gatekeeper forever, you know, sooner or later, they're going to be like, "Okay, we're tired of losing money. Can we get actual ratings? And these people don't don't get those things, you know, and I think that's part of the problem and why. So, like, when they make when they make these shows, these people, all they want to talk about is, you know, the, the same, the same old stuff, you know, uh, assimilation anxiety, or um you know, microaggressions that I got. And to go back to the Jordan Peele example, when Jordan Peele did this show, and at the time, there, all these people were just doing these horrible Black Lives Matter parables where police were shooting people over and over, and like this misery porn and everything. When Jordan Peele th- happened, instead of saying, "Hey, I need to go back to the drawing board and see what I really connect with, what story am I dying to tell?" You know, like maybe the lesson I should take from this is to be unique, too. Instead, they said, oh, so instead of copying Black Lives Matter uh, misery porn, what I'm supposed to be doing is doing horror, black horror. So they just took the same attitude and applied it to black horror. So they made like 50 black horror films that are all just wannabe get out. They made it so bad that even Jordan Peele, uh, people are sick of him. Even though he's only actually made two black horror movies, but people are just you know so sick of him because of all the copycats. There's there's one called like Good Hair. There's one called Spell. There's Antebellum. There's um.
1: He's become some, a genre, like yeah,
0: yeah. It's become a genre. They all look the same. The Candyman one is a, is another one. Um, Lovecraft Country. Did you and, mention them? Oh, I didn't mention them, but that that's another one. Um, and then Jordan Jordan Peele can't even go back to. His, he seems extra derivative now. So his second one is us. And the third one is Candyman. But by then he looks like he's almost ripping off um, himself because that's mm-hmm. all they can think of. What does the gatekeeper seem to like? And right. how can I mold myself be that? And it's never going to produce good art, you know, whereas something like squid game, when you read about how the guy created it, you know, he just had a story that he really, really wanted to tell. And he had his inspirations. He liked this, this uh, manga called liar game. And this other one, uh, this this Japanese novel turned into a movie called Battle Royale. But he still made it his own. It's very different than both those things and actually improves on them in a lot of ways. Like For example, I was a fan of Liar Game. And I, and I told you when I started this, I was like, oh, this is just like Liar Game. But he makes the thing very smart by making it like, like children's games. He kind of made it easy to understand. And also, I think that commentary about how adulthood is just basically like, you know, a less fun version of childhood and childhood is basically like uh, uh, a preparation for soulless adult life and everything. it actually I think improved a lot on liar game because liar game was a little too intellectual. It was Mm -hmm. very, very into like the nuts and bolts and in the weeds with the games. And there would be these mathematical explanations and and everything. It was a little bit too nerdy and in the weeds. So like he had something unique to say, whereas these people, and we made this um, and, and, And Chris, I don't know if you have it handy. I don't want to steal your jokes, but it was very funny. We were talking about knowing that these people are like ripoff artists, right? If the Asian-Americans decided, you know what? Our answer is to make our own squid game. And we were joking about how bad it would be because they would just end up making it into their own stupid high school trauma. So I was saying that game one would be stinky lunch where you have to like uh, find a corner in the room to eat your stinky lunch without the white people finding you and everything and making fun of your lunch. and then. And then you said uh, game two would, would be of Asian American squid game having to be seen in public with accented parents.
1: Yeah, like a parent-teacher conference or I don't know, some other public event and your, your white friends would have parents who would be very easygoing, they'd be joking with everyone and then along comes you and you would have your kind of like you know, wallflowery appearance who, who, you know, can't really talk to anyone that would, that's like second. The third one is probably some, some instance in which you would have to date another Asian American. That would be, uh, the next, like, is it like a pubescent nightmare?
0: I think, I think it would be uh date another Asian, but also, uh, try to compete with a, um, white girl for the 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 top white jock you know like you know like like like, like you lose if you end up with the, with another Asian but you know you win if you you know yeah,
1: can, right right it's like yeah the opposite be, gender white person is the the prize and the kind of like the the booby prize is the same uh, opposite gender uh same race person <laughs> yeah, well and if you're gay uh you know change that as you will uh, yeah yeah yeah, so. yeah.
0: exactly and, and bonus points if you could beat like a, a a white person for the affections of, uh, you know, this this white this white target. That, that'll be yeah. game three, I think. Mm-hmm. And then you said you said game four. Uh, what what you did said, I
1: say for game four? You um, said game
0: four would be being told to study for medical school when you really want to be a singer. Like,
1: yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, like you want to be a singer, you want to be an actor, you want to be a, a sculptor, whatever. Like one of those like cool culture class jobs. But oh no, you have the uh, horrible, horrible fate of. Having to become a white collar worker and fate worse than death, uh, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like, you open an envelope and it's either gonna be an invitation to join American <laughs> Idol or a med school acceptance. Yeah. And, and if your envelope is med school acceptance, it's like bang, they shoot you in the head <laughs> <laughs> on this on the spot. Like it would just be terrible. Like like these people just they just can't do anything aside of like high schooly, siblingy, support groupy, navel gazing. It's the kind when you're a kid. And you have a journal, and you're like a precocious, like smart kid. You think everything you put in your journal is like this transcendent thought, you know. And you look at it mm-hmm. as an adult, hopefully, and you're like, "Wow, I was really insufferable," you know. They never have that second phase. They are frozen in that. Um, my every thought, my every banal thought, is transcendent, you know, yeah. uh, and unique. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh,
1: one thing I want to talk about is like I'm sure there's going to be some chatter. Uh, Maybe, maybe Hollywood has wise up that this isn't a good idea, but let's say there's like a squid game remake, like American version. Uh, I would, but I think this highlights why Squid Game could only be Korean. Cause okay, what is the white analog for Asung Hyun? Like a middle-aged divorced dad. Like like in the, in the show, he used to be an auto worker until he tried to unionize and then they fired them all or something like that. So he's basically like that uh, midwestern, probably like Trump voter or at least a borderline Trump voter type. He's out of work. He's a deadbeat dad. He's he wasn't a good husband and all that. And could you? imagine imagine the controversy that would be if, if someone like that was the protagonist of a show like squid game that was like
0: Americanized there would be so much something something else too Americans are so bad at discussing labor like can you imagine someone yeah. being part of a union and labor issues as a serious storyline in anything American?
1: Cause like, like the New Yorker and New York Times class would just say, Oh, well, he's, he's probably a racist and a homophobe and a misogynist, yeah, exactly. which is probably kind of true, but it's also this is a significant part of the country. It doesn't mean they're just total monsters. And yeah. I, I think that's what, uh, upsets the kind of pe- the Asian Americans who are not that happy about Squid Game is that this is their equivalent of this, of the thing where this is their version of. The, the kind of like middle aged white guy divorcee uh you know bad dad kind of thing yet um e- even though white people aren't allowed to do it when Asians do it it's celebrated as almost woke in the sense that uh, you know something like Squid Game is saying a lot of things about capitalism and wealth inequality that nothing in America the only thing I can kind of imagine is something like Sorry to bother you but that was also a very indie film it wasn't like a big Budget mainstream hit,
0: and is a very consciously leftist. I think the guy might even be a communist. So no, yeah,
1: Bruce Riley is, I think, actually a card-carrying communist. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, so he's a very unique, unique case. He's not your typical uh, screenwriter. You know, uh, he he's he's an extreme, he's an extreme outlier. He's almost like the exam, the exception that proves the rule. Here's two quick things I wanted to mention that I wanted to go to some of the stuff on your notes and make sure that we got through all that stuff but two things i noticed i kind of started this point but i didn't finish it earlier was you know the fake fairness all this extreme talk about you know give people like a fair shot uh the most important thing is the egalitarian spirit of the games these people never uh got a a fair shot on the outside and you know if you do that here so they are so big into that, right? But um, once the VIPs come, you kind of see it's all bullshit. That's what capitalism is. Capitalism has a constitution, a declaration of independence, all this stuff that professes fairness and equality. And I think this was happening to Squid Games a lot on a micro level too, where it kind of shows it's very easy to be good when the stakes are low. So it's like uh, Sangwoo, you know, gives Ali the phone to use, buys him food, gives him bus fare, and then, you know, all this stuff. And they show it in a lot of little ways. That's why I'm saying that I think when people say this thing is unnuanced nuanced and be true over the head, it's not true because there's a lot of little nuanced things. But another great example is Sangwoo gives up at the place, at at the, um, I'll call it the campus. At the campus, uh, Sangwoo gives Ali his breakfast. But then-
1: Oh yeah, uh, the, the pastry or something that, yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah. But then he mentions he doesn't eat breakfast anyway. So he's not actually giving up something that he- values that's another example of like you know when the stakes are low and then another thing that right after that i guess to compete because he feels like oh i want to show i'm a good guy too i always forget how to pronounce his name but the protagonist um kiyun yeah uh kiyun he gives them the chocolate milk but a couple seconds before they showed him trying to trade the chocolate no he gives him the his milk but a couple of minutes before they just showed him trying to trade the milk. He says, I can never drink this stuff. It makes me uh, sick. I only like chocolate milk. So they both give Ali something that's actually something that they didn't really want anyway. But uh when like the stakes happen, when it's time like you know to make a sacrifice for his life, uh Sang Wu, you know, sells out Ali in a heartbeat and uh and Kiyun, um, tricks the old man, you know, despite yeah. doing all these little gracious gestures for the old man. And I think that was a micro example of that, but how capitalism and and Western democracy, the democratic ideals are all about, you know, pretending like you're, you know, all people are created equal, but the country has slaves. You know what I mean? Like it, it self contradicts at any moment that there is a chance that you have to actually make a tangible sacrifice and put your money where your mouth is. And on and a big level, it happens with all this egalitarian talk and they even shoot their own people for violating this rules because you gave the doctor an edge. But once the VIPs come, all that goes out the window. They ask the VIPs, do you want us to give a hint? What do you want us to do? Um, Money talks, power talks. um, And for example, that guy is able to see with his eyes, thanks to his training, which glass is good, which glass is not. Now, if you're really about being fair, you know, then his natural, um, his natural, talent should be allowed to, you know, excel. Like he has this talent that, um, probably didn't get him that much in the real world. And if you didn't want this egalitarian thing where people get a chance to shine, that should have been his moment, you know, to do it. But the VIPs wouldn't like that. So they turned down the lights for all the talk about being fair, egalitarian and whatever. Once the money comes and, and everything the only person I think who actually kind of really does a sacrifice, um, is that girl for the for the other girl uh, but even then yeah. yeah but even then she said she had nothing to live for so maybe she just was kind of suicidal to be to so i thought that was a very interesting point about how like uh western democratic capitalism uh is full of pretending to be good but you know when the stakes come and you have to sacrifice money or or your life or comfort um a lot of it is, is hypocrisy. I thought they showed it on a macro level and a micro level. Pretty good. And the last I was going to say is I like the, how those people in the uniforms were kind of like soldiers slash cops, you know, and they had ranks just like soldiers or cops do. And there was something where the soldier says to the doctor at one point, in their own way, soldiers are less valuable than the players. And he goes, you know, it's a huge problem when the player goes missing. A soldier, no one cares about that. And you kind of see that feeling that. Soldiers slash cops are grunts in their own way, you know, and in, in their own way, they actually are in a strange way worth less than the contestants because the contestants are what people bet on, they're where the money is at and everything. But, um, and also just like cops or the military, it seems like they don't get paid very well because that must be why they're having that side business of the um,
1: yeah. I mean, my I have this like fan theory of my own that they are. Uh, probably about as destitute as the contestants, but for whatever reason, they were chosen to be the guards. And also, it seems like most of them are, uh, they're all men. I don't see any women there. Yeah. And it might be some, something to do with the military then because uh, they, the structure is, is very much like, you know, the Korean military that every, Korean male citizen has to go through all these ranks, and uh, I don't know if there is a season two. Uh, I'd be very interested in just like why are these people there? They're not getting paid that much, but, and but, they but don't but see. I'll
0: tell you, like- you why I think it is, and that's why I think it's like being um, a policeman or a or a military people. Like the the policemen, a lot of times are from the same socioeconomic strata as a lot of the criminals. Like like they're poor themselves; they're not making that much money, but. That power trip, you get to push people around, you know, and for the military, it is part of that, too. You get to go abroad and like, you know, shoot people and be important and, you know, whatever. So I think that's the thing. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. They seem destitute themselves. They seem to not be getting a lot of money once they're there because they have to do these little side hustles and be corrupt and everything, which happens a lot with cops. You get a lot of cops taking bribes and being corrupt. But for a lot of people, the... um the joy of being able to push people around, I think is a big, it's a big appeal. Or maybe there
1: were, no, no, it doesn't make sense. I was going to say maybe there were like former winners, but there's too many of them. Like the games haven't been going on enough to produce enough winners Yet. for there to be that actually. And, and that's something I want to say in response to what you said. Yeah. I think you're right in that. Yeah. There is whatever the, the current status quo in, in the West, it, it feeds you this, um, Pleasing tale of meritocracy and win -win winism. And, but the thing is, I mean, if you look at the design of the Squid Game, there can only be one winner. So, no matter how uh, nice you are at the beginning, at a certain point, it is a zero sum thing where you will have to go head to head, uh, fight to the death, even with somebody whom you thought was your best friend. And, you know, someone like Sangwoo, I think one of the reasons that people like, a lot of people hate him, but I don't think people like truly loathe him is the fact that I don't, if he could have won the thing with Ali, he would have, in my view. Yeah. Uh, He wasn't a total monster. He wasn't like, oh yeah, I want you know, 40 million instead of merely 20 million. I'm going to kill you to get it. I don't think he's that type, but he is the type where it says, if it's you or me, I'm going to choose me every single time. And that's what this system makes you do. Even though at the beginning, when things are easier, when the stakes are lower, it feeds you this idea. You know what? You can both win. You can both thrive. But at a certain point, as the system is designed to do, there can only be uh, as like power and wealth and success and happiness keeps getting winnowed down until into fewer and fewer hands. And uh, that meritocracy thing, yeah, uh, maybe when nobody really cares, but hey, if you threaten, uh, like the VIPs, they're like entertainment was threatened with the glass game. So they're like, okay, we'll change the rules at the last minute uh, for to satisfy the people who are actually running things.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I also uh, wanted to make sure that we got through everything on on your notes i'm looking at, i think we got through most of it there's something yeah, like um, the oh, yeah. yeah oh yeah
1: that, that that was a an addendum to you know america not okay so like you know sally rooney is known as this writer who is commenting on uh, uh you know american capitalism and you know young people's reaction to it and yeah you know, i say this as someone who enjoyed normal people at least a novel i thought tv show wasn't very good but again it's this um, inability to say anything big because like all Sally Rooney's novels are about are, you know, well-educated, kind of artsy, attractive young people, you know, young white people. Uh, well, it's, an, it's set in Ireland, so obviously they're all white. And, you know, you know, th- does she like me? Does he like me? What does this text mean? Why why can't I love myself enough to not just have meaningless sex? You know, th- that kind of stuff. And that has its place, Uh, but it's also... It seems to be the only thing American cultural elites are able to say. And I think I think some of them might try to say, you know what, I, but you can't even make the argument that this is what the crowd wants because this is not what the crowd wants. I think it is uh, an elitist conceit to want to tell increasingly smaller and more myopic stories because... What that says is my life is so interesting. The whole society should be invested in uh, the the little dramas of my everyday life. And I mean, we see this in how, in in the hierarchy of fiction, you know, lit fic, literary fiction is above genre fiction. And I think it's this uh, elitist mentality that I shouldn't have to entertain the masses. The, the masses should, in me and in my uh, very just plain life, uh, find meaning and see themselves because i am so above them
0: yeah agreed and what else oh we talked about like asian american shit lib takes yeah uh, I, think, I, I think we talked about yeah, that i think we spoke it's, about, I think we spoke about that, that stuff um we talked about how asian american women are kind of used to running the show in um asian america so uh a lot of the pushback against things like uh, Shang-Chi and um, this. One thing that they kind of pushed back against by just ignoring it was uh, Warrior. I think if Warrior keeps getting popular with mainstream audiences more and more, like it seems to be doing, I think eventually they're going to be forced to address it the way they were kind of forced to address uh, Shang-Chi. But right now Warrior is still like a cult hit. But uh, with all that representation, you think they would have loved to um, talk about Warrior? Because they've definitely promoted endlessly things that to me seemed much less popular you know like uh to all the boys they acted like that thing was uh the godfather too of asian america (laughs) the way they were promoting that thing and that thing was really just okay i've never seen anybody outside of their crowd talk about that thing you know uh but uh warrior even though it's not tearing up you know box office records like uh shang chi it it definitely to me i've met way more randos who have told me to watch warrior than watched um to all the boys and those stuff, and yeah.
1: Well, that's probably because you're of the people you know we hang out with, and I think that's what this thing is ultimately about: like which subset of these minority groups gets to be in the spotlight, and yeah. Um, I, I think some people, even though they have, they can't really say anything objectively bad about something like like Shang Chi or Parasite, in, in the sense that no, these are not like laden with racism or misogyny or homophobia or any of the, you know, familiar levers they've been very good at using to to, you know, push themselves to the head of the line. The simple fact is that because it is made by the types of Asians who are not in their little ally foxholes or whatever, they see it as a threat. So they got they gotta complain about things, whether it's like the subtitles or kind of like drummed up charges about problematic aspects of these movies and shows.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it was like, um, you said, you know, Asian American women kind of run the uh, show in Asian America as far as like having like the academic and media, the biggest academic and media platforms. I mean, that was something that was complained about even like, you know, by Frank Chin uh, decades ago, you know, but I think it's not even just Asian American women, but I think the face of Asian America has been the... For like the past couple of decades, at least from, you know, the Sayonara and um, Wonderful World of Suzy Wu. Is that what it's called? I've seen it. Wong, I think Suzy Wong. Suzy Wong, like that, that thing is a whole rash of these things where I feel very much um, Asian, Asian women and white men has been like the face of Asian, Asian America. More than, you know, say like Asian, Asian American couples or Asian American men and you know non-Asian Asian women. And I think that's just become a story that people are just kind of um tired of. And I think we've even seen in some of that pushback to to the bad art friend story in the New York Times that everybody's talking about. If you don't know what it is, just Google Bad Art Friend and you can see like <laughs> the story. But I've just seen like a lot of people, even on Asian American message boards, kind of saying how um white people just love platforming a certain type of Asian women that even a lot of other Asian Americans don't really seem to like, including other like Asian American women. women. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a whole other pod's worth of discussing, but to sum it all up, I think the last you know, generation or so of Asian American culture, what has been the, like the central axis it has um, kind of spun on is the assimilationist concerns of the most highly educated, the most uh, socially upward mobile Asian Americans. And often uh, this, the highest form of this is if you're like a straight Asian American woman who is able to uh, get into like, you know, white families uh, by virtue of marriage and things. And that has, you know, from like, you know, the, the Joy Luck Club to even like something like, um as like, like uh, traumatic to Asian American history as the Japanese internment. The only uh, mainstream Hollywood movie that's ever been made about it is a movie called come see the paradise. which is a totally made up movie uh, based on like a Japanese American uh, woman who was interned and like some, some like white American man. So you, even that has to be expressed through that coupling and through that perspective. And then uh, you you mentioned uh, before, you know, something like to all the boys I've loved before, which is, I think the culmination of that that mindset in which uh, the, the you know the, the Asian protect, female protagonist is actually half Asian, has a dead white mother and a white father. It, it, it's very messed up in many ways. And I think some things like Squid Game and even something like Shang Chi is a break from that mindset. And which is why we've seen some people kind of freak out because of it. And as I said, I heartily welcome this change.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, and I'm I'm open for anything i'll shake stuff up when it comes to like um so-called diversity entertainment because i just feel like it is so repetitive and and interesting to think its own farts you know what i mean <laughs> and i just don't want any more dear white people type shows i don't want things that feel like twitter think pieces and everything i i, I don't want any more um things that feel like you know Somebody uh, read Intersectionality 101 or Afro Pessimism 101 and is just trying to set it to fiction. You know, like, like this, yeah, I think is really good. And I really want to see if it shakes things up. The last thing I want to ask you, right? And this is what I want to end it on. Why do you think crazy rich Asians did not set off some new? I mean, because for better or worse, good or bad, I feel like um something like Get Out, a renaissance, even if it was a renaissance of the most derivative, hacky, material that you know but i feel like crazy rich asians didn't even start a deluge of, e- of good or bad rip or anything it just seemed to just stall out the gate as far as uh i thought like a lot of asian american creatives would be just running to get their pitches out there and like and like do you have any theories as to why that didn't happen
1: oh uh, one theory i have is that it was playing pure catch-up because uh, you know get out was doing something that nobody had seen before. Crazy Rich Asians was just a 90s white Hollywood rom-com with kind of like a a new skin.
0: Uh, It it, it felt very much like my best friend's wedding, actually. Right, right. right. So it it was
1: trying to make up for all the things that Asian Americans felt had been denied to us in the past. And now it's been somewhat made up. So maybe the the Asian American creatives realize that, hey, we we can't just like keep going to the past again and again. We got to at least try to at least pretend we're doing something new um another theory i have is that a lot of you know as as much as as, as bad as like the the, the the blavity crowd might be i think what does kind of separate them from their asian american equivalent is that even if like a, a black show is not that great like insecure at least it has all black people i think with asian americans i think one thing that they didn't really want to copy about Crazy Rich Asians was an all Asian cast. They wanted a springboard for their own uh, narratives, but they wanted it to be more like where they were the only Asians and they were actually trying to uh, fit into uh, a white world. Whereas Crazy Rich Asians was actually the exact opposite. It was about an Asian American who uh, basically says, fuck you to America and goes off to Asia
0: <laughs> to point. live. Yeah.
1: And that, and, message and you feel like
0: there's still a bridge too far for a lot well, of that people. That's
1: very antithetical to what a lot of second-generation Asian-American creatives, I think, want to do. They don't want to uh, leave America and go to Asia. They want the exact opposite. And in fact, that's probably why a lot of them got into this whole like acting or writing business because they always felt like that was the way to feel more included into the mainstream. So that those are my theories.
0: I do think if things keep trending the way that they're going, though, they're going to start faking this like back to motherland type of artistic movement but it will be like again one of those trojan horse things they'll they'll package it in that skin and then try to work in like the usual stinky lunch stuff in the after the fact yeah but yeah i agree thanks so much for doing this uh all my pleasure yeah yeah, i'm sure we'll
1: have you on on escape from planet very soon as well
0: yeah yeah I, i feel like there's something in the air lately where black Twitter right now is actually kind of in a lull. Like, there's (laughs) a lot lot of crazy stuff going on. And lately, I don't know all like the excitement and interesting uh, commentaries happening on Asian American Twitter. So I feel like we've been talking about that a lot more. Uh, You know, like, yeah, there's much, much to dunk on lately. And, um, (laughs) In, in the world of black blue checks, it's been Maybe funny. all
1: the all the words have been like decapitated or something. So it's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. transition
0: period. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So uh take care. Have a good. All ride. right. See okay. You See you, Trevor. All right.